what an honor to be back, and what an honor to see all these ministers here. I know you guys, uh, I know you worked hard this morning, and everything as a pastor is pointed towards Sunday morning. Everything, all week long, your thoughts, your plans, your prayers are pointed toward third Sunday morning. And then once Sunday morning is over, it's a... And then you remember, I told my pastor buddy down in the other city I was going to come to his church Sunday night. So thank you for coming. God bless you. Brother Roland, what an honor to see you. And uh, what a what a just a gem. I'm going to tell you, I wished I could prophesy you to Tennessee. If I could prophesy you to Tennessee, I'd, I'd, prof- I'd pay the Lord to let me prophesy you to Tennessee. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. I'm going to read it from the King James Version, not because I use that one a lot nowadays, but it just has a poetic flow to it. Have you, ever, have you noticed just in the practical side of, of life and church world that when the only translation we had, when, when it was the King James, people memorized Scripture a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we have five or six that we use all the time, the NIV, the NLT, the New King James, the Message, the Passion, the Living Bible. Uh, When we use all these different translations, I've noticed people don't memorize Scripture as much as they used to. That doesn't mean it's wrong, doesn't mean there's anything bad with it. It's just that, which one do you memorize? And when we only had the King James Version, we had one to memorize. And there was something, there's something poetic and a flow about the King James. Now I know it's hard to understand and I know the words don't a lot of times translate or interpret into our modern lingo or vernacular, but it still has a flow to it. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. Strongholds. Casting down imaginations. Everybody say imaginations that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, everybody say thought, to the obedience of Christ. This morning I shared with you that Satan operates in the arena of thought. Everything that he's ever done in my life or tempted us or gotten us to fall and pray to, gotten me to fall and pray to, or you to fall and pray to, it's because he first came with a thought. Just a simple thought. It was a thought that he put in Adam and Eve's mind. Has God said? That's what he said. Has God said? He just got them to think of questioning God. Has God said? It was a thought that he put in Judas's mind to get some money. It was a thought that he put into the heart of, of Simon the sorcerer. In Acts chapter 8, in fact, uh, when, when Peter confronted Simon the sorcerer for asking for uh, the gift of laying hands on people uh, to get them filled with the Holy Ghost, remember over there in Acts chapter 8? And he offered them money. He offered them money for that gift. Simon the sorcerer offered them money for that gift. And Peter said, uh, thy th- uh, pray that the thought of thy heart might be forgiven thee. It, it, see, all temptation begins with a thought. Satan operates in the arena of thought. 
I shared with you this morning out of Matthew chapter 15. Turn over there to Matthew chapter 15 again. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 17. Notice what it says. Matthew chapter 15. Let's begin with verse 17 through 19. Do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in the mouth goeth into the belly is cast into the draw? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. And I, you've read that many times if you know anything about the New Testament and if you've read the New Testament. And chances are you were like me for years. That said, for out of the heart proceed murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. But that's not the first thing that comes out of the heart. The first thing it says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. See, you'll never commit murder unless you have a thought of murder. You'll never commit adultery unless you have a thought of adultery. See, you've got to entertain the thought, and then the thought turns into an imagination, and then the imagination turns into a stronghold. See, Satan doesn't have access to your mind at will. And he doesn't have control over your life. You cannot, he cannot put a stronghold on you unless two things happen. Number one, we, we give him our permission or through our ignorance, he takes advantage of us. What does the Bible say in Hosea chapter 4? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. What does it say in the book of James? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So it's either through our ignorance or we give him permission to put a stronghold. What is a stronghold? We often talk about strongholds. Several years ago, I had friends that, that got to, on this teaching of strongholds over cities. And I believe that. We read that from the book of Daniel that uh, talks about the prince of Persia that was uh, had a stronghold, a, a demonic spirit that had a, a stronghold. And Daniel had to pray and that the angels of God had to come and, and work and defeat the... Uh, the principalities and powers in the heavens and pull down that stronghold. So I believe that. It's very obvious. It's very obvious. You can look over certain cities of our nation and of the world and you can see there's strongholds. You can look over Las Vegas and see that there's a gambling stronghold. Oh, there's a spirit that's running that thing. You look over San Francisco and you see there's a stronghold perversion, sexual perversion. over there. You look over New Orleans and you can see there's a stronghold of witchcraft over New Orleans. You look over Washington D.C. and see there's a stronghold of idiot over Washington, <laughs> D.C. I mean, they're, they're just over every city. You understand what I'm talking about? So it's not, it's not hard to figure this out that there, but, and, and then we get, but we as Christians, we have a tendency, we get in the ditch. We can't stay in the middle of the road. So we figured that out. Yeah, there's stronghold over this city. So then we think, well, we got to pull those strongholds down because that's what the Bible says. But we don't, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So for strongholds over cities, we need to pull those strongholds down. So then all of a sudden we got in this prayer, prayer angle, and where we were, I had friends that chartered planes, and they went up and with a prayer team, and they would pray, they thought, well, if they're over our city, we need to get up where they are and pull them down. And, you know, they spent a lot of money chartering planes, but New Orleans still has a stronghold of witchcraft. San Francisco, they're still perverted, and Washington are still idiots. And, and, and you know, that, so it didn't work. 
Because that's not where the stronghold, that's not where our battle is. Sometimes we can move over there in prayer and speak things under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and things over cities can be broken, but you just don't decide I'm going to go up in the top of a building on the top floor and have a prayer meeting for a month and pull down this stronghold over this city. That, that We have no scriptural precedent for that in the scripture. The strongholds he's talking about Now notice what he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not mighty, but mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The strongholds he's talking about pulling down are strongholds right up here. That's where the strongholds are. The biggest battle you have in your life is not the neighbor, it's not the spouse, it's not the government, it's not the Republicans, it's not the Democrats, it's not your boss, it's not the union, it's not the uh, administration or the management. It's in your mind. That's where the biggest battle is. Now, and, and Satan doesn't have the authority to put a stronghold on you without either your ignorance or without your permission. You don't go to bed tonight free and wake up tomorrow an alcoholic. Right, that's right. Doesn't happen. Can't happen. You don't go to bed tonight happily married, loving God with all your heart, and wake up in the morning and be bound by a spirit of lust and adultery. It doesn't happen. You don't go to bed tonight free and wake up tomorrow a drug addict. See, it, there's a process that must develop in our life and we must allow in our life before a stronghold, a stronghold of drug addiction, a stronghold of fear, a stronghold of jealousy, a stronghold of, of uh, alcoholism. Uh, we, we have a, a whole team, we have a whole ministry of our church uh, on recovery of people who have been set free from various strongholds of addiction and and opioid addiction, and alcohol addiction, sexual addiction. See, you just don't wake up one morning. You don't go to bed at night free and wake up one morning bound by pornography. They tell us that uh, over 60% of all Christian men view pornography. Over 60% of all Christian men view pornography. The last three weeks in my office, I've had men and women in my office who say, Pastor, help me, I'm bound by pornography. And it it has nothing to do with age. It can be young people all the way up to senior saints. I just recently, we recently had to deal with a couple in our church. He was 86 years old and she was 74. And he had been unfaithful to her at 86. 86. See, it has nothing to do, has nothing to do with age nowadays. Satan doesn't play fair He will attack the elderly. He will attack the young with all of his temptations. But here's what I want you to understand. If you will learn the process that Satan uses to develop strongholds. What is a stronghold? The the word stronghold means a fortress, a prison, prison. My friend Terry Law says it this way. A stronghold is anything in your life that prohibits you from receiving or being God's best hinders you from receiving or being God's best. It might be insecurity. It might be jealousy. It might be a poor self-image of yourself. God gets, speaks to your heart and says, I want you to do that. No, I, and every time He speaks to you to do something, no, I can never do that. 
I can never do that. It's just become a stronghold. It's imprisoned you. It's locked you up. It can be out. We know about alcoholism and, and uh, adultery. We know about drug addiction. Those are very obvious strongholds that we see every day. But it can be a lot of things that hinder fear. Fear. People go through tragedies. And then that, that memory of that tragedy haunts them for the rest of their life. We deal with a lot of, of uh, arm, uh, military veterans who've experienced combat and that uh, post-traumatic stress. It's become a stronghold in their life. They can't function the way they need to. We have a, a lot of uh, law officers in our church who have seen some things that they, they wish they had never seen. And now those memories continually prohibit them and hold them back. Every time they get in a tough situation, those memories start flooding and it hinders them from fulfilling their duties like they really want to fulfill their duties. Yeah. And, and see, that doesn't happen overnight. Satan doesn't have the authority to just say, you know, I think I'm going to pick you, any, many, mighty mo, and I'm going to put a stronghold of adultery on you. I tell you what I'm going to do. I, I, I ain't got nothing to do today. I'm going to put a stronghold of insecurity on you. So you'll never think you'll be able to do anything. And you'll have to live through that and you'll have to fight that every time an opportunity for advancement comes. Or I'm going to put a stronghold on you that you got the coronavirus. And now you walk around every day scared to touch things, scared to touch people, scared to see, scared to be around people. I mean, he'll use anything. A stronghold is anything that gets fixated in our minds that hinders us or prohibits us from receiving God's best or being God's best. But see, he, he can't put it on you all of a sudden. You either got to give him permission or you've got to through ignorance. And there's a process. There's a process. And this is what I didn't know. This is what I didn't know. I was, I was raised in church. My granddaddy was the pastor. My granny was the women's ministry director. My mama was the piano player. My dad was on the deacon board. My uncle was the song leader. My aunt was the black sheep. And when granddaddy needed somebody to come to the altar, he'd get her there every Sunday. <laughs> we had we had saved and sinner alike covered in our family. We, we had it all, kind of had it all covered in our family. So I was raised in church. First place they tell me they took me after the going home from the hospital. First place was church. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night Bible study, Thursday night women's prayer meeting, Friday night. I mean, I couldn't even go to the skating rink. Go to the skating rink, you go into sin. I couldn't. I couldn't go to the movies. I remember the first time I went with a man. She was raised Church of Christ. They could do anything as long as they got in the water in the baptismal tank. And I remember the first time that I went to the movies with her. If she hadn't have been so pretty, I wouldn't have gone with her. She led me into sin. And I, the, the first time I went to the movies with her, I was scared the whole time because I'd been taught if Jesus comes while you're in the movie, if the rapture takes place, He can't sin that den of iniquity. So he, he won't be able to get you out of there. So I went to the popcorn stand and to the uh, uh, concession stand and to the bathroom, I know a dozen times, making sure that I came out and hoping I'd come out if the horn, the trumpet blew, I was out. Now she's on her own, but I'm coming out. See? I was taught what to wear and what not to wear. I was taught how long my hair should be. You know, Pentecostals, you don't 
Women couldn't cut their hair and guys couldn't let their hair touch their ears. I was taught all that stuff. But nobody ever taught me what to think. And growing up, my mind became a gutter. I shared with you this morning there were some things I didn't know. I didn't know I could control my thought life. I didn't know I had to take I could take ownership of every I didn't have to take ownership of every thought that popped into my mind. I didn't know that I had to be the guardian of my thought life. A lot of those things I didn't know. But by the time I've got 29 years of age and a pastor of a, a little church, my mind was a gutter. Pornography, lust, things like that just eat me up. And every day I would repent. I'd get on the floor before my in my desk, my little office, and or in the sanctuary around the altar, and I just cry. Oh God, I'm so sorry for having those thoughts. I'm so sorry for entertaining those thoughts. I'm so sorry, and I would repent. And you know, every time you repent, the the presence of the Lord would come and just wash me clean, and I'd feel so clean, and I'd do good for a day or so, and then that temptation, those thoughts would come, those images of things that I'd seen. See, here's the danger about pornography. It releases. They say it is the same addiction as a drug addict. When you see those scenes in pornography, it releases things, chemical reaction in your brain that gives you a high. And I'm spending, Amanda and I are spending more time daily, weekly, working with people who are bound by pornography because it's so easily accessible. But what it's doing, it's contaminating It's making toxic your brain. And God says that He wants a sanctified spirit, soul, and body. Not only in our spirit, not only in our body, but our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, and our brain. See? And so my mind was a gutter. So uh, driving down Highway 111 on November, in November of 1986, all of a sudden this thought popped in my mind. You must be demon-possessed. And uh, I thought, and it kind of stung me. Have y'all ever been somewhere doing something or not paying attention, and all of a sudden the craziest thought pops in your mind? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just pops in your mind. And you think, gum, where did that come from? That's the craziest thing. And that thought popped in my mind. You must be demon-possessed. And at first I thought, that's all I thought. (laughs) That's stupid. And I kicked it out. And about a week or two later, some people came up to me, were talking to me about their church and what they were doing and the outreaches they were having. And, and I know as a pastor, I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to rejoice when God does something good in the city, whether it's me, my church, or somebody else's church. But when they walked away, I felt resentful. I felt like they were rubbing it in. Because I knew our church wasn't doing any of those things. Because we were a little congregation, didn't have any money, hardly had any people. And I felt, I felt, honestly, I had some bad thoughts about them people. Now don't look at me like that. Some of you have bad thoughts to people who don't even say nothing to you. You see them, you see them driving in that car. Look at them. They think they're better than everybody else. You don't know they're four payments behind you. You understand what I'm saying? These kind of thoughts pop into our mind. 
And when I had those thoughts, bad thoughts, all of a sudden again, Satan got on my shoulder. It's like somebody was whispering in my ear, you must be demon-possessed to think thoughts like that. Christians don't think bad thoughts toward other Christians. And people, especially preachers, won't think a bad thought about another church. Yeah, you've got a devil. You're demon-possessed. And this time when it happened, it stung me. I remember, I remember thinking, I started to try to logically reason with the thought. Let me tell you something. You can't outthink the devil because that's his arena thought. Have you ever, a thought popped in your mind and you tried to come back with a thought against that and then he'll come back with another thought and then he'll, you'll do another thought and he'll come back with another thought and you'll do another, he'll come back with another thought. You can't outthink the devil. So listen, if you learn this truth, you can't outthink the devil. You'll never win with him in a thought battle, but you can outtalk him. And I had to learn that I can't outthink him, but if I'd start speaking God's word, he has no defense to that. And a lot of people will will go and say, well, I'm not, and I went through this season when trying to learn these things after the Lord appeared to me. Well, I'm just not going to think that. I'm just not going to think that. I'm just not going to think that. And he would just keep firing these negative, harassing, tormenting, terrible thoughts. And I'd say, I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to think that. But here's what you have to understand. Your mind thinks just like a rooster crows. Yeah. It thinks 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every thought, every, every scene, every aroma, every smell, every moment of your life since before birth has been stored in your data bank, this wonderful computer called a mind, and it's constantly working. It's constantly. You know you go to sleep at night and your mind is dreaming. It's constantly working. You see a scene and you remember something from your childhood. You smell something and remember something from years ago. It brings back a scene. Why? Because all of this is stored in your data bank. It's stored and your mind's going to think. So you can't just stop thinking bad things. You've got to replace those thoughts with God's Word. And you just can't say, I'm not going to think that. You've got to say, no, instead, I'm going to think this. Wow. And it has to be God's Word. Satan, he just can't, he can't throw something on you. You've got to let the, open the door for him. And, uh, and this is where we've missed it for years. See, we Christians, we Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith, whatever you want to call us, um, have you noticed everybody wants to be like us now? The Baptocostals. The Methodocostals. The Catholic Charismatics. For years they used to make fun of us. Now they all want to be like us now. I think that's pretty cool. And, uh, uh, but for all of us Pentecostals and Charismatics, we, uh, we love, we pray for, we yearn for, we uh, sing for, we love to hear preaching, and we love to hear teaching about the suddenlies of God. We like it when it suddenly happens. I'm going to tell you what, you can pray the prayer of faith. And then the Bible says in Mark chapter 11, verse number 23, Whatsoever a man prays and believes in his heart and shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. 
<laughs> and uh, hallelujah. And, and boy, we'll get carried away and say hallelujah. And it leaves us thinking all I have to do is say it tonight and it's going to happen tomorrow. It's the suddenness of God. Well, why not? I mean, our favorite verse is Acts chapter 2. And there was suddenly a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues of fire that set upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. How did that happen? Suddenly. Acts chapter 9, Paul's on his road to Damascus. And the Bible says, suddenly a light from heaven shone. We love the suddenlies of God. I've had it happen many times. Well, I'll pray for something and suddenly it takes place. There's nothing that will build your faith more and excite you more than that. But did you know that's the exception and not the rule? The suddenlies of God are the exception and not the rule. The rule, the normal process of the kingdom of God is process. It's a process. And we don't like process. We like suddenlies. We pull up to McDonald's and get a coffee. And if you have to wait very long, we're not doing this. In fact, I, we have Starbucks in our town, Dunkin' Donuts, and I go by both of them, and the one that has the shortest line is the one I go to because I'm not waiting. I believe in the suddenlies of Starbucks and the suddenlies of Dunkin' Donuts. But that's the exception, not the rule. God operates, His kingdom operates in process. And you say, well, tell me where that works. Where is that in the Bible? All right. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Turn over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I'm reading now the King James in verse number 23 through 28. Mark chapter 4, verse 23. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. Jesus is talking. What measure you meet shall it be measured to you, and to you that here shall more be given. That's, a, that's, that's not America politics today. Notice what he says. With what measure you meet it shall be measured to you, and unto you that here shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. He that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. See, that's not American Theology. American theology is we give to those who have not. God said, that's not my kingdom. My kingdom says to those who have will get more. To those that have not will be taken away even that which they have. It's not meaning that God's unfair. It's meaning God requires stewardship of what He's given you. And stewardship of His Word. Okay. And then then notice notice the next couple of verses. Verse 26. And he said, so is the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom of God. God. Now he's getting ready to tell us how the kingdom of God operates. So is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. Verse 29, But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Notice verse 26, 27, 28 again. And he said, So is the kingdom of God. Everybody say, Kingdom of God. 
as if a man should cast seed into the ground. So his, this is how the kingdom of God operates. Remember the Bible says God's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated in us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. A kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. How does that kingdom work? How does it operate? How do you get it to manifest in your life? How do you get kingdom principles, the promises of God, to come to pass and demonstrate for you? It's one thing to teach about them. It's one thing to hear about them. But how do you get them working in your life? All the promises of God, how do you get it working? It it doesn't come suddenly. Because that's not how the kingdom... It's first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. It's as if a man cast seed into the ground and notice, and sleep day and night. And then he rises one day and said, whoa, I got a harvest. How many of you have ever planted a garden? Amanda and I, back years ago, we didn't have any money. The church was small. They couldn't even pay us. Uh, and we said, you know, if we're going to eat, we better plant a garden. So I'd never done a garden. My dad grew up on the farm. But uh, So I'd watched him and helped him in the garden, but I never had one of my own. So I had a buddy, uh, one of my board members, come over with his tiller, and he, he tilled me up a place about uh, ten, 10 yards wide and 10 yards long, just a little. And Amanda and I, we uh, read some things. We had to go to the library and read. We didn't have Google. How many remember when you had to go to the library? I mean, I remember what a book looks like. Yeah. And uh, we, we, read, we read on gardening, gardening 101, gardening for dummies, you know. And we went down the co-op and we got some green beans and we got some potatoes and we got some tomato slips and we got some okra. And we, he came on a Friday afternoon after work and he tilled it up. And on Saturday, we spent all day planting our little garden. And we were just learning about faith back then, and we stood, I remember we stood over our little garden and we spoke to it. We put our hands out, we speak life. (laughs) We speak life to this okra. We speak life to these green beans. We speak life to these, come forth. If you don't come forth, we're going to die of starvation, so come forth. (laughs) And we prayed over that thing and we believed God. And that was a Friday, that was a Saturday. And, then, and we went to bed that night, went to sleep, woke up early the next morning, get ready to go to church. And I looked out there. I just looked out the back window, just looking at the, just looked out in the back, and I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. I said, Banda, come here. She looked out the back window, and there in our garden was full grown squash, full grown cantaloupe full-grown watermelon sitting in our garden. I said, man, miracle. And I thought, man, now I got a testimony. I'm going to have a prayer center. I'm going to build, I'm going to have a garden-growing ministry. And we, we, we ran out in our pajamas in the backyard, and I thought, I can't believe this. I thought I, and then when I got out there, I realized, I didn't plant watermelon. (laughs) I didn't plant squash. I didn't plant cucumbers. And then I saw footprints of tennis shoes in the dirt. And some of my church members heard about my garden during the night and came over and 
put some stuff in my garden. How many of you know you don't plant green beans and get squash? And you don't plant okra and get watermelon. Isn't that right? And how many of you know that you don't plant today and get a harvest tomorrow? You sleep and rise night and day. And then over time, if you till your, your ground right and nurture it, it'll bring forth a harvest all of a sudden one day. But it, you don't, it doesn't pop up one day full of green beans. And it don't pop up one day full okra. It's first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. It's process. And that's how the kingdom of God works. You and I find a promise in God's Word that promises something we need and we claim that promise. We pray that promise. We plant it in our heart. And then every day after that, we water that seed that we planted in our heart. We water what the Word says and remind the Lord of what He says and confess that the Word of God is true and we declare it and we water it and before long, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, a blade will come up. And you don't put in the sickle to get the harvest at the blade. There's nothing to get. And then the blade and then the, and over time, you get a full harvest. That's how God's kingdom works. You start sowing love. And over time, love will start coming back to you. What the Bible says, if you want to have friends, show yourself. You start showing, sowing friendliness. And over time, not all of a sudden, but over time, it'll come back to you. See, that's how God's kingdom operates. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Now here's what you have to understand. Satan is not a creative being. He has come up with nothing new. He don't know how to come up with anything new. Anything he's been successful in schemes or systems is because he's stolen it from God. So just like you and I, God's kingdom doesn't come to pass in our life overnight. Satan's strongholds don't come to pass in our life overnight either. And God told us how that worked, but we never see. We just missed it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down, pulling down, pulling down of strongholds. So if you have to pull it down, that means it's already been set up. It's become resident in your life. You have a stronghold. You have a stronghold of lust or a stronghold of pornography or addiction or alcoholism or some type of perversion or fear and it controls your life. You think about it many times during the day or many times all day long. It it just controls it. It's a stronghold. You can't be God's best or receive God's best because you're in prison to this thing. But it's already been developed in your life. Well, how does it get developed in your life? Because Satan doesn't have the opportunity to put it on you overnight. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 
and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So it's the kingdom of God. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Strongholds, imaginations, thoughts. Everything Satan does is backward of what God does. God lists it first. Blade, ear, full corn in the ear. God lists Satan's backwards. Strongholds, imaginations, thoughts. Every sin, every stronghold begins with a thought. You entertain a thought. You don't take a thought captive. I think I'll go out and just have a social drink with the friends. Just a thought. No harm, no harm in that. The Bible doesn't talk about social drinking. It just talks about drunkenness. So there's no harm in that. You think? It just begins with a thought. You entertain a thought about someone that's not your spouse. You're not going to really hurt nothing. You're not doing anything. You're just thinking about it. But see, Satan's strongholds begin with thoughts. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive. Now here's what happens. Look, if you entertain that thought, it will eventually move to a fantasy. Or as the Bible calls it, an imagination. The word imagination comes from the Hebrew word image, which literally means a picture. Remember when the, the people in the Old Testament were building the Tower of Babel. And the Bible says that whatever they imagine to do, they can do, they'll get it done. Why? Because now it's not just an idea. Now they are putting an image to it. And here's what happens. Is that we entertain the thought and then all of a sudden we continue to entertain it. Then it becomes an imagination. We see ourselves doing it in our mind's eye. You entertain the thought of being with somebody else's spouse and you don't kick that out. You don't take that thought captive. So then it moves to the next stage is where all of a sudden you start fantasizing about being with them. And you see yourself being with them. See, the pro- Satan's process is started. Right now, It's just all in your mind. But He knows the end result. Because if you imagine it long enough, the Bible says, that's why the Bible says if it gets to that point of imagination, you've got to cast it down. That word cast down in the Greek means to hurl with violence. See, the, the, the most common spiritual warfare that we have is just our thought life. A thought pops in our mind. No, I'm not going to think that. Here's what I'm going to think instead. We take thought captive. But then if it moves past that and you start getting scenes in your mind of that image and fantasizing, all of a sudden now the spiritual warfare picks up. Now you've got to cast that down. You've got to hurl that down with violence. It's a little harder to get rid of at this point. And here's what I've learned. The more you imagine, the more you fantasize the things that Satan's put in your mind, the more you start seeing pictures of, the more the thrill of it takes over the consequences of the sin of it. That's why people who are in church can end up doing some of the craziest and most ungodly things. Why? Because they got that thing so worked up in their mind that the thrill of it was more inner, exciting than the consequences of it. 
And if you and I don't cast that thought down, that image down, that fantasy down, then the Bible says it will go the next stage. It will become a stronghold. To the point that's all you think about. It dominates you. You change your behavior to make sure you do what that image you keep seeing because it's become so elaborate in your mind. And it all began with a thought. It all began with a thought. These people that go in these places and kill these people with guns, they go into their... It began with a thought. And then they imagined it and got on the computer and learned about it and kept how they're going to do it and how they're going to, how they're going to get in there. And, and the whole scene starts playing out in their mind and becomes a stronghold in their mind. And then they act on it. Anybody understand what I'm saying yes. to you? Yes. <clears throat> and that day driving down the interstate or driving down that road, it was just a thought. You must be demon-possessed. And I didn't know what I'm teaching you now. So immediately after a few weeks of that, it, 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 I didn't have any answer for that. I didn't, I didn't know other than, that's silly, don't think that. I didn't know I could control my thought life. I didn't know that just because a thought pops in my mind, I didn't have to take ownership of it. I didn't know that. I didn't know that thoughts comes from four areas. They come from our very environment. They come from the Word of God. They come from our flesh. And they come from Satan. I didn't know that. That's the four areas thoughts come from. They come from your environment. Your history, they come from God's Word. They come from our flesh, our flesh. You know your flesh has a mind of its own. And they come from Satan. (coughs) Satan has the opportunity at times, he'll throw thoughts into your mind. Have you ever seen somebody, like I said a while ago, you see them and, and, and you don't even know them, but a critical thought about them will pop into your mind? Where did that come from? It didn't come from God. It didn't come from your history. You don't even know them. Satan through he's the accuser of the brethren. And how does he do that? By firing thoughts into our mind. And then all of a sudden that thought turned into an imagination. He said, you're demon-possessed. I couldn't get it out. Seven days a week. All day long. Like a machine gun. Pow, 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 pow. You're demon-possessed. God doesn't love you. How could He love you after you think those thoughts? You're terrible. You're an embarrassment. You better not pray for nobody. If you lay hands on them, the demon in you is going to get on them. I can't believe you'd get up there and preach. You're demon-possessed. And then all of a sudden, my grandmother died in a mental hospital. My aunt died two months after getting out of the mental hospital. So at night, I'd start sensing images of them come and put me in a straitjacket. Satan said, yeah, you're next. You're going into the mental hospital. You're next. You're going to lose your wife. You're going to lose your little boy. Church is going to find out. See, I couldn't tell my people. It's, it's a tough thing to have a struggle when you're a pastor because you ain't got many times nobody to talk to. Because if you tell your people, I mean, what do you, the devil say, you can't tell your people. Nobody wants a preacher that's demon-possessed. <laughs> That's not a popular thing. 
So Amanda and I suffered in silence. And she'd say, Eddie, that's crazy. That's crazy. Why are you thinking that? I don't know, but I couldn't get it out. See, I hadn't, I never guarded my thought life all the years and right. Satan found his moment. He found my weakness and he hit. That's right. And then he started pounding. Like a machine gun. Every day you're demon possessed. You're, God doesn't love you. And harass me, harass me, harass me. You're terrible. People can see it to the point that all of a sudden now the thought turns into a fantasy. That's all I think about. That's all that's on my mind. And now I won't get out of my house. And I stayed in my house without getting out. I'd get out. Mandy would get me out on Sunday morning to go preach. And the amazing thing was I'd go preach and the anointing would come upon me when I'd get up to preach. And the thoughts would leave. But as soon as I finished, I would run back to my office and the thoughts of fear and torment started again. And she made excuses for me. Well, he's not feeling well, things of that nature. Just pray for him. Because I wouldn't even stay around and shake hands with people. And she'd get me after everybody left. She'd come get me at the office and take me home. And I would barricade myself in my house for a year. Depression. I felt like I had a vice grip. If, if, if I could put it, it was like somebody had put a band around my head and was squeezing. It got to the point that I couldn't see. Everything was beginning to be dark. Literally dark. I'd have every house in the light, uh, every light in the house on, and I'd say, man, it's dark in here. She said, hey, you've got every lamp, every overhead light. We've got, you've got every light on. But it was dark. It was like darkness was coming over me. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember people's name. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't. That thing had me. Satan said, just go on end your life. Your wife's going to bed, work tomorrow. Nobody will be here. End your life. And you won't be an embarrassment to your family. And you won't be an embarrassment to your church. Just end your life. She took me to three doctors. They couldn't find anything physically wrong. They just said, looks like you're having a nervous breakdown. I'm 29 years old. And they say you're having a nervous breakdown. I couldn't sleep. I never slept over three hours a night. I lived in hell for a year. And listen, if you're living in hell, I want you to know you can get free. And it's happening too much. And back then they didn't have all the emotional medication and the medication that we have nowadays to help people with the symptoms. They either put you in a, a... a mental hospital which was not very, which was crude compared to today's standards, or you, uh, uh, you just suffered in silence, and I suffered in silence. It had me. And Amanda said one day, she said, Eddie, uh, this Saturday, would you go eat breakfast with us and then go get to the grocery store with me and Tyler, that's our little boy, he was one year old. Would you go? Would you just try? I'll pray this week. And if you'll pray this week, maybe by Saturday you'll feel like going. I said, I'll try. So all week long I was pumping myself up. I was pumping myself up. Saturday morning comes. And we get ready. Put our little boy in the car. And we head to God's favorite restaurant, Cracker Barrel. And we sit down and everything's fine. She ordered, I ordered. And then all of a sudden it happened. The room started closing in. 
a nervousness and anxiety started rolling on the inside of me. That vice grip around my head got tighter. The noise got louder. And all of a sudden, paranoia took over and I thought everybody was looking at me. And the waitress kind of looked at me strange and I thought she, she saw that devil. And I looked at Amanda. I said, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. She said, no, don't go. Don't go. Don't go. Please don't go. Let's pray right now. Don't go. I said, I can't take it. I got to get out of here. And I got up and ran out to the car. It was just a couple of minutes later, her and little Tyler came out. They're both crying. I said, get me home. And I went home. She drove me home. We pulled in the driveway. She said, Eddie, I've got to get us some groceries. I said, well, I'm staying here. You and Tyler can go. So I walked into our little house, took a right past the living room couch. You know where he was. And I went down to our little den, and I fell face first into the carpet. And I remember screaming out with everything that was in me, Oh, God, I'm going crazy. I'm crazy. I'm losing my mind. They're coming to get me. I'm going to end up in a mental hospital like my grandmother. Why is this happening to me? Oh, Jesus. Tears. I mean, I'm screaming to the top of my lungs. Jesus, come and help me. I don't know what to do. I don't know why I'm this way. Help me, I'm losing my mind. And I just, I don't know how long I was there. I don't know how long I laid there. Probably five, ten minutes just crying. I remember tears was wet where my head was just crying. I was heartbroken. I was hopeless. And then I saw it just kind of cried out. And I just laid there for a second. I'm laying face down on my carpet. And all of a sudden, I I don't know why, but I sensed somebody was in the room. And I lifted up my head, and there were some feet there with sandals. And I thought it was my next-door neighbor who went to my church. And he probably heard me screaming so loud. And he came over thinking something was wrong. So immediately I, I, I'm on my off, I'm just laying on my stomach down. And when I looked, lift up my head and saw them feet, I just raised up on my knees and my hands. And I looked up. It wasn't my neighbor. It was the Lord Jesus. And for a minute I thought, I've died and gone to heaven. And then I thought, I'm having a hallucination. I'm going crazy. And then his words broke that tormenting silence. He said, Eddie, what would you have me do for you? You remember there was a blind man in the Bible. Jesus asked him, what would you have me do for you? See, sometimes God doesn't do what we need Him to do because we just, you have not because you ask not. Eddie, what would you have me do for you? That was 30 years ago, and I've thought a thousand times if He ever asked me that again, 
I'm going to tell him a lot of different stuff. I like that house over yonder. That truck I saw Pastor in was pretty cool. What would you have me do for you? I said, Lord Jesus, I remember it like it was yesterday. These thoughts, they're killing me. And then he said something. He said, Eddie, I told you, thoughts are as vapors. And I remembered months earlier praying one day, saying the same thing, Lord, I'm losing my mind. What's happening to me? These thoughts are killing me. And I remember coming up out of my spirit, man, that word, vapors. They're just vapors. And I didn't know about listening to the Holy Spirit or being led by the Spirit. I didn't know. I just discounted. That's crazy. But the whole time, the Lord was saying they were vapors. Now, years later... Now, what I'm telling you, I didn't know nothing about faith. I'd never heard of Kenneth Hagin at that time. I didn't know anything about what we know today. I'm just, I'm just a 29-year-old kid raised in a little Pentecostal church, and I just know I have a call of God on my life, and all hell breaks loose. And so when he said they're vapors, uh, I, I didn't get it months earlier when I was praying. But two years after this event now, if you just go forward two years, I'm reading a book by Brother Hagin on I Believe in Visions. And he says in that book that he had a vision where he's on a ball field and these two monkey creatures are chasing him. And they get up to him and they're biting around, trying to distract him around his feet. And he said they were throwing off a smoke screen that were like vapors and smoke. And he said that smoke screen, those vapors served to try to interfere from being able to hear what God's saying to you. And the Lord said, I told you those thoughts are his vapors. And then he reached down to the side of my, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting, I'm, I got my head, my hands, I'm on my hands and knees and I'm looking up. He reached down to the side of my head and I could feel pressure on the side of my head. And he reached down and he pulled out, looked like a banner. You see these banners, they stretch across the road to announce a fair or something special. It looked like a banner. And on that banner, as he pulled it out, I started reading it. You are demon-possessed. He said, this is what you've been thinking. I said, yes, Lord. And it, he blew it. And it disappeared like a puff of smoke. And then without saying anything, he reached down again to the side of my head and pulled out another one. And this one said, God does not love you. Because that's what I've been thinking. And he goes, and it disappeared like a puff of smoke. And then the third time, he reached down and pulled out one, and this one was blank. Blank. And I see all this happening. It's happening to me. He's looking at me, and I'm kneeling there, and it's happening, but I can see it like I'm in front of it. It was the most amazing thing that ever happened. See, because in the spirit realm, there's no distance. There's no time. It's a, it's a total. Remember, remember in heaven, the Bible talks about the beasts that are in heaven around the throne, and they can see all around them. 
They have eyes that sees all around them. Because in heaven, it's not just uh, you, us seeing you. It's 3D, 4D. I mean, it's a different dimension than we're dealing with. We're getting all excited. People are getting excited about 5G, 4G, 5G. I'm going to tell you, in heaven, they're in a million G. Okay? It's a different dimension. And this one, he didn't blow. He looked at me and smiled and wadded it up like a paper ball. And then he looked at me and he said, Eddie, and he pointed to the corner. He said, there's your problem. And immediately I looked and over in the corner was two monkey-looking creatures. I don't know how tall they were because they were huddled, but they couldn't have been no more than like this. And they had hair all over their bodies. And they were shaking. And I knew they were shaking out of fear. But I had no fear. And he said, there's your problem. And every time Jesus would look at me, he'd smile. And every time he'd look at them, they'd start shaking. It was two of them. They were huddled up in the corner. And when Jesus would look at them, they would shake out of fear. Years later, I was reading one of Brother Hagin's books. I didn't know. I just figured in the spirit I knew they were devils, but I'd never heard anything about that before or knew anything. But a couple years later, I was reading Brother Hagin, and he, he describes demon spirits looking just like little monkey creatures. And the Lord just looked back at me. He said, there's your problem. And he looked back at me and smiled. And then he was gone. He didn't do anything about the devil. He didn't do anything about him. He said, that's your problem. Why? I found out later. See, I didn't know this stuff then. But I found out later. He's already done what he did 2,000 years ago. Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. That's why he said, there's your problem. Right there. For the next two or three weeks, I couldn't hardly talk. Every time I tried to talk, I would cry like a baby. And uh, peace came and filled my mind. The thoughts, harassing thoughts stopped. Man, I, I had it. I'm, I'm back to normal. I got a testimony. I got a vision. I can build the city of second city of faith for all Roberts. I'm going to start a university. And about a month passed. You must be demon possessed. God doesn't love you. The thought started again. But this time, I was armed with what the Lord had said to me. I knew that I'd been in the Word for a month and I started resisting. And they started leaving. See, if it takes a vision from God to get a person free from a stronghold, then everybody's got to have a vision. And God hadn't promised us all a vision. But He has given us the Word, and that's all it takes is us being obedient doers of the Word. So when those thoughts would come, I'd say, no, 
as he began to teach me things about how to overcome thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. It was almost a year later. It was a Wednesday afternoon. All day long, for some reason, terrible, harassing thoughts had been harassing my mind. I thought I was over it. I'd walked in faith and I'd confessed the Word every morning. I'd Sometimes I'd get up and shave and Amanda would have three by five cards taped on my mirror of Scriptures. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power to love and sound mind. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I read those Scriptures every morning. She gave me some three-by-five cards. She said, I want you to write these Scriptures on these cards. So I put them in my pocket, and all day long, if I was driving down the road or anything like that, and those tormenting thoughts would try, I'd pull out one of those Scriptures, and I'd read it. See, you can't outthink the devil, but you can outtalk him. And I'd read But this day, this Wednesday, I don't know what had happened. It just didn't seem like the Scriptures were working. And I was under torment. And I was at my office desk trying to get prepared for that Wednesday night service. Our church had grown a little bit by then. And I was trying to get prepared. And I couldn't concentrate. But I never would let out of my mouth anything but the Scriptures. I kept confessing the Scriptures. And I remember, I said, well, I'm just going to get down here and pray. I remember pushing back from my desk and I knelt down at my chair and I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm never going to let doubt and defeat come out of my mouth again. You are my Lord. You're my God. I don't care what kind of thoughts pop into my mind. And as soon as I said that, I felt myself going up. The Bible says, Paul says, whether in the body or out of the body, I know not when he went to heaven. He said, I don't know if I went in my body or I know went out of my body. I don't know if it was just my spirit or I was in my body. I just know I went to heaven. I know exactly how Paul felt because I felt myself going. In fact, as I started rising, I remember thinking, oh, 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 like that. And the next thing I knew, I'm standing in the presence of the Lord in the throne of God. The most beautiful colors I've ever seen. Colors I I don't even have words to explain. Colors we don't have here on earth. Brilliant. Radiant. Captivating. And Jesus was standing right before me. And I said, Lord Jesus. His hair, people said, what did he look like? His hair was about shoulder length. A lot of the pictures that we see, the resemblances, that's about it. But it was his eyes. His eyes were like liquid. They were like a, a lake that shimmered when a pebble hit it. And they were... And the air was love. I can't explain it. I, you wasn't breathing oxygen. I was breathing love. And it, with every 
breath, more love went in me. And he reached out and touched me like this. I looked for it in my hands and I touched it. And I said, Lord Jesus, I don't want to go back. And he said, you must go back. And I said, I don't want to go back. And he said, you must go back. And when he said it the second time, he started to pull away. And I said, I don't want to go back. And I started moving backwards. And he said, you must go back for your wife and your little boy. And then he said, and you must go back for this. And once again, he pointed. And there on the, as I saw, was a room full of army cots, empty army cots, soldiers' cots. He said, you must go back for them. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God till the pulling down of strongholds. And I'm here tonight in obedience to those army cots. A people who've been in the fight of faith and Satan has tormented their mind put thoughts into their minds to hinder them from being God's best or receiving God's best, harassing you with thoughts that are impure, harassing you with thoughts of condemnation, harassing you with memories of the past that have tormented you. And God wants you free. You must go back for them. So for the last 30 years, Amanda and I have traveled this globe telling this story and preaching this message that God has given us. And wherever we go, there are people we run into from Estonia to Thailand to South America to New Mexico to New Jersey to Florida, wherever we go, Oklahoma and even in Tennessee. There's people that are being tormented and God wants them free. Now I'm getting ready to pray for those of you who are being tormented in your mind, but here's what I want you to understand. When I pray for you, there'll come an anointing upon you for a temporary reprieve, but then just like when it me, I got the temporary reprieve when the Lord appeared to me, but then the thoughts came back and I had to do something about it. I had to start taking my thoughts captive and getting my mind renewed with the Word of God. Okay? Stand with me, would you? Now, a lot of people say, well, after that vision, how long, how long was it before you got free? How long was it before you got free? Well, by the time the second vision happened where I went to heaven. It was about a year. But a a couple of months after that second vision, when I went to heaven, 
one morning I woke up. And I, I just woke up. Laying in bed, I woke up. And I woke Amanda up. I said, it's gone. She said, what's gone? I said, that band around my head, it's gone. I said, I don't feel it no more. I said, and it's bright in here. She said, well, the shades are drawn. I said, but it's bright. She said, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm free. I'm free. She said, well, when did you get free? Did you get free last night? I said, I don't know. And here's the truth. I had walked by faith so long and just acted like God's Word was true. I might have got free weeks ago and didn't even realize it. Because see, I walked by faith and not by sight. I just kept speaking God's Word and... And I walked right out from that bondage and didn't even realize it. It wasn't another somebody laying hands on me. It wasn't another vision. I walked out of it because I walked by faith and not by sight. And God set me free. So I'm going to lay hands on you. Amanda and I are going to lay hands on you. And there's going to come a reprieve, a peace. That's going to come. But then you've got to do something. Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, what serveth? It says, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Philippians 4, 6. Prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, everybody say peace of God, that passes all understanding shall guard heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Well, after the Lord appeared to me, I was praying one day. I said, Lord, the word's not working. I said, the guard's leaving. The guard's leaving. I said, the word guard there, I'd studied it in the Greek, it means to mount a garrison around. I said, the, the, you said, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And, 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 it's a conjunction, Lord Jesus. And means it goes with the verse proceeding. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard. Mount a garrison around your heart and mind. I said, the guard's leaving. I said, as long as I'm praying or reading my Bible, I have peace. But as soon as I get finished praying and reading my Bible, the guard leaves. The torment comes. The torment returns. I said, the guard's leaving. And I heard on the inside these words. Read the next verse. So I read verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are just, if there be any praise, if there be any virtue, think on these things. I said, well, that's wonderful. That's a great verse. But the guard's leaving. I said, as long as I'm praying, I got the guard. I have peace. But I can't pray 24 hours a day. I got things to do. I can't pray. I can't read my Bible all day long. And as long as I'm reading or praying... The guard of the peace comes. But as soon as I quit that, the guard leaves. Your word's not working. And on the next, I heard these words. Read the next verse. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are honest, if there be any praise, if there be any virtue, think on these things. I said, that's a great verse. I've read it twice. (laughs) You're not listening. The guard is leaving. 
went through that whole scenario two more times. And on, after the fourth time, I heard these words, read the next verse. And as I started to read verse 8, I said, finally, and it was like, finally came off the page and turned and became 3D. And the Lord said, the reason the guard's leaving, the peace that guards your mind, the reason it's leaving is you've got one final thing to do after you pray. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, after you pray, you got one final thing to do. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, think on these things. See, after you pray, you got to get your thinking lined back up with what you prayed. You got one final thing. See, most of us pray, we'll sense the presence of God, and we'll be good for a day or two, but then we go back thinking the same old doubt and unbelief. And the Lord said to me, the reason the guard's leaving is because you haven't done the final thing, and that's thinking correctly after you pray. <laughs> now, uh, I could teach this. The Lord showed us, I want to show you one other thing that's going to blow your mind. Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 in the King James. Put it up 6 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, everybody say the peace of God. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep or says guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now go back to verse 6 again. Put verse 6 up there again. Verse 6. Put verse 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. Then look at verse 9 again. Put verse 9 up there again. Those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You see what he's saying? He's saying if you pray right, the peace of God will come. He says if you walk right, the God of peace will come. He says if you pray right, the peace of God will come. But he says if you're a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, the God of peace will come. Some of you have just been settling for a little bit of peace of God. 
and you got to be a doer of the Word. He says, those things which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, then not only the peace of God will come and just give you a reprieve, the God of peace will come. He'll show up Himself.